When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with someone who has been just absolutely terrific at every stage of his life. And, uh, and that's on stage, on the big screen, on the small screen, and, and now as a director. I mean, he, I, mark my words, we are going to be talking one day as, uh, as, as Coleman Domingo uh, develops into a, a just a great director. He's already showing the signs of it. And uh, Fear the Walking Dead, uh, everyone knows him from there as the actor, but uh, behind the lens, uh, he's, just, uh, he's just emerging. You know his work from uh, Selma and Candyman, Assassination. Uh, you've heard him on BoJack and, and so many things. Timeless, you've seen him. Uh, Lucifer Lincoln, uh, his resume is a mile long, but directing is, uh, I'm telling you, he's, he's got it. He's got it for sure. Coleman Domingo, how are you? Oh, thank you. That was the most beautiful intro I think I've ever heard. Thank you so much. It also made me exhausted because I was like, good Lord, a lot. How does it feel, though? You're getting accolades for your directing now, and, and you know, you, you've got to I, – I, you're a modest guy, but you've got to feel pretty good about what you're doing with the, the directing side. Oh, I feel great about it, man. I feel, I feel like it's uh, – I've really taken to directing. I've been, I directed in the theater for a long time, and then translating that to television has been great. And I've been given some of the most incredible episodes of Fear the Walking Dead to direct. One was a Western episode. Another one was sort of a Die Hard episode. Um, and I think, you know, I, you know, Fear the Walking Dead is like shooting film. It really does feel like an epic film each time because you have stunts, visual effects, great, great uh, detailed character and story work. So I, I love being a director. I think it's the key to being a good director is knowing how to throw a good party. And I think that I, I've, I, I've always been a person known to throw a good party because it's about lighting and music and making sure that you invite the right people. <laughs> so, so, so I think that's, that's what I enjoy about directing, and I look forward to eventually directing feature films too. Are you hearing from other directors since uh, they've gotten a chance to see your work? Are you, are you getting people coming out and saying, hey, wow, you know, how do you, how do, you do this? Because some of them might yeah, not man. know about your background in stage and doing all the stage directing. Are you getting a lot of call from uh, different directors? I am actually like I've had a couple of friends, a couple of peers, like Ava DuVernay or Victoria Mahoney, reach out and talk about my directing work. And you know, Victoria said the most beautiful things online about my directing work. And Ava has asked me to direct, you know, a couple things for her. I just haven't been able to do it because of our time, because of schedule. And uh, but otherwise, you know, yeah, other directors are really um, praising my work as well, which feels really good, especially from the people that you admire. You know, I think Barry Jenkins has uh, taken a look at my directing work, and I, I, I love that. I love, I love, especially when your comrades, you know, the people that you admire, um, see you and see all that you do. And I think that that's been the blessing is that people not only see me as an actor, writer, 
but also as a director, and that, that, that means the world to me. You know, people are, you know, reacting differently. Obviously, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Hopefully, light at the end of the tunnel and things are getting better. But schedules are so fluid. And, I, you know, and especially when you have a hit show on your hands, like you do as an actor and all kinds of acting work. Do you have uh, time to do a feature uh, at this point? Or would you make the time to do it? <laughs> I try. I don't think I have time right now. But usually <laughs> the, 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 my, the schedule has been so um, amorphous and crazy right now because of uh, COVID. Uh, but usually I would have like six months off of my schedule where I usually schedule things besides Fear the Walking Dead. So that's when I'm able to do the other film work or um, other television work. But it's just been like I've been on hold for so long. So the schedule is kind of nuts. So you just have to um, sort of try to get some real estate. So what, I'm, I'm in the planning stages of thinking about it whether or developing something. When, when it comes to the reality of actually shooting a feature that I'm directing, because directing takes, you know, there's months of prep work and then shooting and then editing. So it, it probably does take a good year out of your life, to be honest. And I know that I don't have that year available yet, but I am in the, the, the gestation process. How or, or what have you learned uh, since you started the, the process of, of getting behind the camera? And again, it's got to be different than stage. I, I'm, an, I'm a lay person. I don't know anything about directing or, or, or uh, acting or anything like that. But just I, I have to imagine that, uh, that there's things that you've learned in shooting these three episodes so far and a few of the Walking Dead that, uh, that you wouldn't have known being in front of the camera alone. Is there anything oh, yeah. that stands out? Time management. That's the thing that you have to understand more than anything is time management. You really have to manage how, where you put your time, where you put your energy, and also where you put your money. And the way you really have to look, okay, what, what's important to me in telling this story of this scene? I may not be able to get every shot that I want, but what shots will actually tell the story? And I know how to guide actors and how much you want to, you have to know how much to take uh, your foot off the pedal sometimes and say, okay, I need to let this breathe and let this be what it's going to be and trust that and trusting the process and uh, trusting that, you know, you can just get everything you can on camera and then a lot of your work's going to happen in the editing room. So I think more than anything, I want to say time management because that's one thing you've got to make your day, especially now with all these COVID protocols as well. It's like you don't have time to not get your shot. To not to not make your day because you have all these things, you know. But that's the thing about television and film in particular. You have all these things that are sort of set up against you as a challenge. Like you want to make some great work, but sometimes you just may not have the the right weather or the right um, <laughs> mood or moment. Things may not work out the way you think they will. You've got to have a plan A, B, C, D, and Z. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, real quick, I know people are waiting to talk to you, but I, you must see things in your fellow actors that you've been working with this whole time um, differently now. And again, not to put you on the spot and you don't have to be specific, yeah. but uh, it, there there must be a, a different way of looking at everybody now that you're directing them. Uh, and any surprises, any huge surprises? I would say the thing that is the most surprising is um, how how much I, I know because I'm an actor that I get a sense of a, a larger sense of trust from my fellow actors. So I think that they're able to do uh, even deeper work 
because I think they truly trust me that I understand the language language and the process. Working with people like Maggie Grace or Garrett Delahunt or, or Lenny James or, or Alicia Benton Carey, any of my castmates, they're such compelling, strong actors. And I think when they know that they're heard and respected, they give you all of them. They give you every bit of their work. And so I feel like, to be very honest, I feel like I know that I feel like I've gotten the best work out of them uh, in a lot of the episodes that I've directed because they feel heard and trusted. Coleman, can you give us uh, a, a website, a social media site before you leave? Yeah, man. People can follow me um, just at Coleman Domingo on Twitter. That's no Ian Coleman, Coleman Domingo. Or um, on Instagram, which I'm always on, which is King of Bingo. And uh, also, if you just want to check out more about what I'm up, I'm up to, go to ColemanDomingo.com. There's a website that'll take you around everywhere. Well, listen, first of all, thanks for being here, but congratulations on all the success as a director. Uh, we, we know what you could do as an actor, but wow, uh, it, what a director. Thanks for being here, Coleman. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo, everyone. has been our very special guest, and you know his work as an actor from so many things and uh, Fear the Walking Dead. Selma, he played Ralph Abernathy, uh, Candyman, Assassination, uh, Timeless, uh, Lucifer, Lincoln. Uh, I mean, he is absolutely terrific. Uh, check out Fear the Walking Dead on AMC, 9 p.m. Eastern on Sundays. And yeah, I'll tell you what, he's very proud, uh, I can tell, of his uh, of his directing work. And it's uh, it, it sounds like we've had him on before. We've had uh, Coleman Domingo on uh, prior to this. And you could tell he was just, he was pumped on it. He's confident in it. And one of the reasons he's confident, he's been doing it for years. He's been directing stage productions for years. And it's something about these stage actors and, and producers and directors that they just uh, when they get to the to the screen end of of whatever they are doing, uh, you know it's almost a it's almost a step uh, down in in ease I should say. And again, not making anything sound easy or whatever. But when you're on stage, it's there, it's live. Uh, you you have no safety net. It's uh, it, whatever the performance is, you get it. So you know, a lot of times those actors go in front of the you know in front of a TV camera or a movie camera. And, uh, and and they they could blow it. They could screw up and they get another chance at it. And we're seeing uh, we're seeing a different uh, performance than just the first take that they're getting. And I'm not saying in all cases, and I'm a lay person. I don't you know, uh, I, I don't uh, know all that much about the uh, the process, but you know it's when these guys and gals uh, go from stage to small screen or large screen that uh, it, it, the experience, there uh, without a net really comes into uh, to being and I, I knew just talking to him the first time when he was doing the for right before the release of the first episode of fear of walking dead that Coleman Domingo directed I knew it was going to be great. I knew he was going to be great at it. He just had so much confidence in himself, and you could tell it here. Uh, he knows, and I'll tell you what, I think he's going to be a big-time director. He is terrific. A very talented actor, of course, but he's a very talented director. Thrilled to have him again. Coleman Domingo from Fear of the Walking Dead has been our very special guest and uh, you know, actor extraordinaire and soon.
to be known very, very much as a director. Terrific director. Check check out his episode coming up this this Sunday and binge watch anything that you haven't seen him uh, him do, or especially his directing work. Coleman Domingo has been our very special guest. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with uh, someone who has put together one hell of a career. Unbelievable. I remember when Harmful of Swallowed came out, it seemed like everybody in the world had it. And it was, uh, you know, everybody it just was uh, was playing it. And, and it was the first time I heard of him. It's got to be almost 20 years ago. And then Retaliation came out. And when Retaliation came out, it, it like charted. It charted on the regular Billboard charts. Uh, and it was, it was in, I don't know, the top 10 or the top 5. And nobody did anything like that since the 70s. And it was like Steve Martin and, and Colin and things like that. But nothing. There was a complete departure from anything that was happening in comedy and he has just been great ever since uh if he's not the best in the business i don't know who is he's got a new special dropping on october 4th and it is must watch as everything that dane cook does is and uh everything is must listen but on october 4th we're going to be able to see this in uh in in theaters and uh, imax and uh, very exciting dane cook how are you uh, man, thank you. first of all, thank you for having me. I'm uh, so enthused to be able to talk about the comedy show, but I also want to acknowledge, because I know that uh, your listeners are down through Florida as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. And I want to say that uh, my heart I'm, I'm, is filled for the people right now in Florida. I'm thinking of friends and family. My mom lived in Delray Beach for a number of years, and I've done so many shows through there. So I just want to let people know that I'm thinking of... Uh, the people in Florida today. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's uh, terrible what's happening. Thanks for acknowledging that. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the special. And I'm excited. Everyone's all pumped up for this October fourth. Uh, give us a little. Uh, give us a little rundown. A little overview. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, really, this is my 31 years doing stand-up comedy, and nothing makes me happier and more proud than to be able to put all my effort and energy into a special that will feel special. You know, I, I want my fans and new fans to see something in stand-up that they've never seen before. That's always my goal is to try to um, create something that's a real unique moment in performance and just visually. So with Above It All, it's uh, shot on my front lawn here in Los Angeles, California, and it is really truly a victory lap of 30 years of storytelling and sharing time with the greatest comedy fans on the planet. 
Well, listen, uh, we we appreciate you. That's that's for sure. Uh, one of the first things I ever heard about you, and we always hear it about you, is is the confidence on stage. And uh, you know, everyone assumes that you're just born with that, but we we've got to believe that's not true. And please tell me, you didn't just roll out of bed one day, walk on stage, and just blow people away. It, it couldn't have happened like that. No, I was I was actually not the class clown, and I was not the funny kid in school. I actually came from a pretty, I was very, very shy. I was like an introvert. Um, and so I will tell you, when I first started doing stand-up comedy, the, the locals around uh, Boston where I grew up, you know, they were calling me up or calling my parents saying, I never even heard your kids say one word in school. How is he getting in front of a crowd of people? It took a, it took a long time to figure out how to really have that confidence. You know, Boston uh, has a lot of uh, great comedians around there. Do you remember the first person you met that was making a living as a, as a comic, or, or at least the uh, first one who had a big name? Yeah, I think that uh, doing my early gigs in Boston, one of the first people that came through town, I want to say might have been either Jeff Foxworthy or Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, they, they were both at like the peak of their stand-up comedy careers at that moment. And it was incredible to be able to share time, share space with those guys, and see how they communicated with their crowd, both on and off stage. So we got really lucky that the group of guys that I came up with, you know, I came up with Bill Burr, I came up with Gary Goldman, I came up with the late Patrice O'Neill, and we were really fortunate to come up and learn from the best. Yeah, I mean, listen, what what you've done and what you continue to do is just unbelievable. I, I, I don't know how good my memory is. I'm just going off of memory, but I, I remember, uh, I, I and if I'm remembering it or if I'm mixing them up, forgive me, but Retaliation, that was the first album in like 20 years that, that charted I, and either got into the top 10 or the top five. I, and, you know, I don't know if, uh, if, if it was a monumental moment for you, but to me... Uh, every, you know, I know a lot of people in the music business, and they were recognizing it because of how high it was just on the regular Hot 100 chart, you know, and uh, and and everything else. Am I misremembering that, or was it Retaliation that really uh, skyrocketed you? Yeah, Retaliation turned my life into an overnight success. It only took, what, 15 years <laughs> to become an overnight success. Um, but, yeah, it charted next to Jay-Z on the actual top... Uh, top 100 albums at that moment i think it was either three or four and not since steve martin had anybody done that and for me i will tell you man very very honestly when that day happened i remember calling my family up and saying i think this is going to really provide me an opportunity a platform to be, if i if i can if i can get better than what i am now i think i can really grow up with this generation of comedy fans and now what is it 15 years later with above it all and we're we're going to do it again it's it's pretty awesome yeah, no, it, it is, and your our generation or this generation's uh, Colin or, or Steve Martin or whatever, and I, look, uh, Jerry Seinfeld uh, is just absolutely you know great and wonderful, uh, but he's uh, he's known as like this TV star, uh, and yes, uh, one of the greatest stand-ups of uh, of all time. But I, but you're you're a different uh, you're in, in a, a different category in a sense, and you really do remind me that or your success or your career reminds me of what uh, is like really a throwback to the 70s you, you just don't see it like that anymore you don't see this rock star type um 
following that uh, that comes with a stand up and and you've got it and it it's got it, you got to really look back and and be very proud you mentioned a a victory ra- a lap uh how are you going to celebrate uh, uh the fourth is there going to be anything different are you going to sneak into a theater and kind of watch what people are doing do you have a set day um that that you're doing anything like that or is it just kind of old hat by that point well, I, I just want to first say, man, how much I appreciate, you know, your kind words because people don't always realize when a comic finally has their moment or when you're fortunate enough like me to have a long career. <clears throat> you look back on all those early road gigs, all those tough years, and it's a it's a tough racket to be a stand-up comic. So I, I truly appreciate you acknowledging some of those high watermarks. And the only thing I can tell you from that era that really sticks with me that early era of my stand-up is just how much we all helped each other you know it wasn't a it wasn't just you making it on your own it was really a whole bunch of comics that i mentioned and we looked out for each other and we tried to give each other gigs when we needed it and sometimes just make each other laugh when maybe our uh, somebody else's career wasn't always feeling like it was on uh, the right trajectory but but that aside like for where i am now all i want to do is I want to separate myself from the pack because I think some of what you see in stand-up today, speaking to your question, was like, you see that there's not a lot of effort and care put into every special that you see. Sometimes they look a little cheap or sometimes they don't seem like maybe they were presented in the right way. And I just don't want my fans to ever spend their hard-earned dollar to watch me in something that they don't see. I put every bit of blood, sweat, and tears into making something that I hope in 15 years you and I are on another interview looking back and talking about again. That's what I hope that people get from above it all. Amazing. Congrats on everything. Uh, You've earned everything. And can you give us a website or a social media site before we let you go? Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'll make it easy. If people just go right now, you can go to danecook.com and the link to my partner, which is Moment, uh, all the stuff is in there. You can pre-order it now. The link will go live, and you can watch it at any time after October 5th. But get in there now. Get that pre-order on DaneCook.com because there's limited edition merch and some stuff in there that probably won't be there beyond the special. And I cannot wait to uh, share this with my fans and new fans around the world. It's really, really awesome, and thank you for having me. And Dane Cook, thanks for being here. We'll be watching. We'll be talking about you as we let you go. Thanks again. Rock and roll, man. Thank you so much, dude. Dane Cook, everyone. Yeah, I, I mean, what a career this guy's put together. And he is, uh, you know, his success, or at least the, the following that he's developed, is a throwback to, to what it was in the, in, the, uh, in the 70s with Colin and, and uh, Steve Martin. That, that type of feel, it's, and you'll, you'll see it at his shows, he's... Um, yeah, I mean, he's great. He's great at what he does, and he deserves all the success that he's gotten. He he works it. He cares about it. And, you know, what he's talking about is, uh, you know, a lot of people just kind of throw together their, their special. Uh, it sounds like he's putting a lot of effort into it, and you imagine he puts a lot of effort into everything. Uh, Dane Cook is, uh, you know, like I said, if, uh, if, he's, uh, if he's not the best in the business— uh, I don't know who is at this time. Uh, uh, Kathleen Madigan is my, is my favorite um, 
stand up and I hate to say female stand up or whatever but I mean by by far I mean she's uh, my favorite female stand up she's uh, just incredible but there's a lot of great ones uh Dane Cook is uh, is is on a Rushmore somewhere and if there's a Rushmore in comedy he's uh, he's there certainly of this modern era he's I you know I don't know who's uh who's in that Bill Burr he mentioned Burr is, is tremendous uh super talent and, uh, you know, hey, Dane Cook is there, too. Different styles, but uh, two guys from Boston that are just uh, tore it up. Dane Cook has been our very special guest. Great talent. Check out his series, uh, his uh, special on uh, October 4th, and you can watch it anytime after that and, and see it. Frank McKay signing off. Dane Cook has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, James Malios is our very special guest today. And we're talking to him uh, from from out in the Hamptons. And if uh, if you know what Calissa is uh, and if you've ever eaten there, you'll never forget it. Um, uh, absolute wonderful food there. But he also owns restaurants in, in, in Manhattan, the Rockaways, Nassau County. And uh, he it just uh, he is he is absolutely extraordinary at what he does. Restaurant tour and so much more than that. James Malios, how are you? I'm great. Good morning, Frank. Thank you. I, I do enjoy the moniker so much more than that. That is uh, probably more than I deserve, but thank you. Good morning. Well, hey, listen, it, you, you deserve it. Everyone raves about uh, Calissa, but uh, give us a rundown on some of the other restaurants. Sure. We own uh, we own Amali Restaurant, uh, which uh, opened 10 years ago, uh, right near Bloomingdale's in Midtown East Manhattan. Bar Marseille, which is located near the water in the Rockaways. And uh, Juniper, which is located uh, in uh, the Vanderbilt uh, uh, apartment complex in Westbury. So uh, a lot of driving, but uh, they're all great. All great neighborhoods, all in different ways. Yeah, every one of those places has a has a wonderful reputation. And, and one of the things we wanted to talk to you about this morning is uh, it is the the whole industry uh, as uh, well the industry as a whole, I should say, recovering from COVID. COVID uh, was a challenge, and I guess, uh, you know, takeout became a thing even for high-end restaurants. Um, how, did, how did you fare during COVID, and how about the industry as a whole? Sure. Uh, you know, it's uh, when I was when I was pledging my fraternity in college, it was, we used to say it was the most fun we never wanted to have again. Uh, this was the least. <laughs> this was the least amount of fun I never want to have again. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's. Uh, I would say that it is. Uh, I think that the the, the struggles that, that was portrayed in the media were, were accurate, and, and to extent they weren't accurate, it's, they probably did uh, describe the, the difficulty enough. I think that we are very lucky that we did not uh, have to close any of our restaurants, and we we're very fortunate that we were able to keep everyone employed um, since the summer of 2020. But 
that being said, there were a lot of white knuckle moments. I think the one thing that I would point out that a lot of people, I think, forget or, uh, you know, that's just the way of the world, right? Frank, like these things happen and people move on to the next thing. And that's just the way of the news cycle and the way of the world. Uh, but, you know, a lot of us took out material, you know, debt to stay afloat in those times. So I know most restaurateurs are all sitting on, you know, many of us are sitting on seven figure debt uh, from the government. Yeah. Uh, and so when people say, oh, you're busy, but you're busy now, they just have to, you know, uh, you know, I just ask them to remember that, you know, it's, it's busy enough to be busy and to be okay now and to cover that, that debt load that, um, that many of us took on personally. So, uh, that's probably the, the thing that, that I would say in the present day, uh, stays with, stays with, uh, most small business owners like myself. Is there anything that compares? I, I, well, I, I, that's a rhetorical question. Nothing compares to to what happened with the pandemic. But I, it, can you remember a time? And you know, you mentioned ten years uh, being open with one of the business. I, do you remember a nev- uh, another time period? Whether it was a recession, whether it was um, you know just a bad economical time, or something poor weather. Do you remember anything that uh, that reflects back now? as being a terrible time in the restaurant industry. Yeah, in, in Manhattan, surely I remember uh, 2008. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was, it, was, it was almost like the pandemic, the, the, that week of 2008, you know, the week when, you know, everything was, which we all, I think, or not all of us, but many of us remember, you know, when they had the meeting downtown at the Fed and it was sort of on the, seeming like on the brink of, of, of imminent economic, you know, zombie apocalypse, economic collapse that week. It was almost like the pandemic was, you know, like like fifty one weeks of that week. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense, and that yeah. sort of uh, maybe that's a way that folks who weren't in the business could sort of uh, think of it that way. But that that's the only other thing that I could think of that was uh, a comparable. Uh, uh, but I remember that time because everyone thought, "Wow, we're are we going to meet tomorrow? Are we able to, are we able to process payments tomorrow? Yeah. Who knows?" Right. You know, if we remember back to those those days of liquidity and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, I, I will say that I, I can't say that there were some really there uh, for all the things that are probably, you know, not administered correctly. There were, were some great things that were done. I mean, the state government had a great program where they linked independent restaurants to soup kitchens. Um, and they paid, you know, for meals, uh, you know, they paid restaurants for meals that went to like, you know, a variety of, you know, veterans uh, shelters, you know, homeless shelters, like, and that was a great, that was a great program. That was like a real lifeline. I remember right during Omicron that, uh, had we not had that, that would, uh, Maybe been far, you know. There are a couple of weeks that you know, if the if the wheel turned, the diamond turned, the wheel, whatever the expression, if the worm had turned one way or the other, you know, I might be having a different conversation with you today. So we're very grateful, very grateful. Thank you for asking and highlighting it. Well, let me let me remind folks that are just tuning in a little late or maybe just turning on the radios now. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly. James Malios is our very special guest, and I, I know him from Calissa, which is uh, one of the best restaurants I've ever been to in my life, and I've been there all over all over the world, and, and Calissa is just uh, just remarkable uh, establishment. Uh, and out in the Hamptons, and uh, and maybe uh, James, if you don't mind, let's do uh, let's do a little bit of your personal history, and uh, sure. give us the the reader uh, digest version of where you were born. Where you were <laughs> well, you know, I like to joke that I or that 
I was the only Greek kid uh, who grew up in Queens. His father paid taxes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you said that. Uh, I didn't well, say that. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. I can say it. So uh, my dad, I grew up in Queens and my dad worked for IBM and the only people I knew were, were diner owners, uh, sons and daughters and furriers. And uh, probably there was some deep-seated Freudian insecurity there that led me to leave my job as an attorney uh, and, and go into the restaurant business uh, in the in the mid-2000s. And uh, from there, I, you know, uh, Briefly worked at a Tribeca uh, Grill downtown, which is obviously a very a great, a great wine program. And then in 2011, I met uh, two of my current partners, uh, Steve Souls, Nicola Gutsonio, and Il Cantinori, and Periali, and many Oyster oh, Oriole, and many sort of uh, iconic New York restaurants. And we opened a Molly in 2011. And then uh, along the way, Calissa, which we talked about in, in Southampton 2017, and then in the middle of the pandemic, which I would definitely not repeat as a business decision, uh, we opened, we opened uh, you know, Bon Marseille, uh, the Rockways and Juniper in, in uh, Westbury. But, you know, we were in leases that we had signed before the pandemic. So, what are you, you know, what are you going to do? Right, you can't just you can't walk out, you know. Or <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I, it was. It didn't seem like an option to me at the time. So uh, that's my professional life. My I have two kids. They're great. My and my wife, uh, uh, who I've been married for ten years, and uh, we live in New York City. And we uh, spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time in the car, driving to the restaurants on Long Island and the Rockaway. So that's that's James in a nutshell. I can spare you the Chinese food walks on the moonlight under the moonlight stuff for another time. <laughs> uh, hey, let me ask you this. Is, is there anything that we got out of the pandemic uh, from the restaurateur's standpoint that is a mainstay now? I mean, is there more takeout? Is there more uh, ordering ahead of time? What's, uh, what, what do we have that's left over as a residual effect of the pandemic? Yeah, Other I think you call them. <laughs> I think I think I think you call, I think you call that one that is a good one. I think that restaurants that formerly never did takeout or, or diminished, you know, their view of takeout, I think the takeout options for consumers are far more robust, uh, for sure. Uh, I think the other thing probably changed a little bit, which uh, you know we'll see how this goes for the consumers operating hours. You know, uh, I think before restaurants, you, should, you have the feeling that we have to be open no matter what, come hell or high water every day. And uh, I, I know a lot of restaurants, including ourselves for one of our stores, uh, close Mondays now, which used to be something that was done years ago. If you remember, like, I mean, I don't want to date, I don't date ourselves. Remember the old days, like in New York, the French restaurants used to close the last week of August, yeah. right? Or people in restaurants used to, restaurants used to close on Mondays, and there's, I think, a better quality of life for uh, the restaurant workers and for their families. And I think you'll see a little bit more of that. And I, I do think customers are are more understanding of that in a way that they weren't before. So that that is actually, from my perspective, a positive. You know. For the uh, everyone talks about the work life and the commuting of you know work you know working from work from home not working from home, uh, I think some adjustment of the requirement that we have to be open all the time is a is a net benefit in the long run uh, for the quality of life of people in the restaurant business. Uh, James, do you have a website? Do you have a social media site where you could uh, point us to, especially on Calissa? You know, uh, I only for social media. I only use it to to stalk uh, people I don't talk to anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I would direct anyone to Chivetta Hospitality, C-I-V-E-T-T-A Hospitality. But if you go to the Closer website, it will link to all of our other restaurants. And we'd uh, certainly love uh, to see any of the guests come in. Um, and if you mention the show and you mention me, we'll be sure to send you out a little gift and say thank you. Well, hey, James, congratulations on all your success and uh, just a, a, a great career, still going strong and getting better. James Malios, thank you very much for being here. Greg, always a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you soon. James Malios has been our very special guest. He's an extraordinary uh, entrepreneur, and he is uh, a restaurateur extraordinaire. Uh, just uh, absolutely terrific. I keep pushing Calissa because it's one of my favorite restaurants of all time. And and by the way, uh, James isn't my high school buddy. I just met him through the restaurant. Uh, just uh, just uh, amazing. So uh, everyone get there, everyone on the East End, or if you're heading to the East End, get to Calissa. And uh, Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on breaking it down. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's breaking it down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with Rich Kaz, or Shranguli, as he is known uh, what a career this man has put together. He has become such a huge part of our pop culture all year round, but especially when you start getting towards October. That's his month. And I'll tell you what, what a, uh, what, what a wonderful, warm feeling you get when you're watching him and he's fun. And, and I, I, it just, he's just absolutely terrific. Me TV, if you're not watching him, you're making a big mistake. Rich Kaz, Shranguli, how are you? Great, Frank. Thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciate that. It seems like you really get what we're trying to do at MeTV. Yeah, well, they're terrific. I mean, MeTV, uh, they get it. You know, and I, I think they've I think they've always got it, and I, I enjoy it. It it makes me feel good. It reminds me of uh, of the of the past, so it's nostalgic. But it's it, it's just good stuff. It's uh, it's good, uh, clean fun and nice fun and everything else. But you're terrific, and uh, people of all ages love you. I know young kids who love watching you. I know my 85 year old uncle can't miss you. I mean, he's uh, he's retired. <laughs> he's a, he's in a uh, you know he's. <laughs> And an assisted living, and he's watching you constant. And I just, I just absolutely love it. And uh, you, you got to feel good. You got to look back and and be pretty happy about what you've done year after year. Yeah, I really am. I always tell people, you know, I've become an overnight success in forty three years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I especially like the fact that we do have so many different ages watching us. Uh, when I do appearances. We have little kids who come up and are excited to meet me. And then we have teenagers and young adults 
and you know the parents and going all the way up to as you said you know 80 year olds who come up and and enjoy the show and i think it, it's kind of rare that any program appeals to such a wide demographic like that yeah, it's just I, I don't know many things that do, you know, at Christmas season, right? I mean, uh, you, you have the Christmas shows and young kids love It's a Wonderful Life and they love, uh, you know, all the, the, the fanfare around Frosty the Snowman. And so holidays, mm-hmm. I think holidays brings out bring out that um, that special uh, gap, that generation thing that uh, that goes on. Uh, but you're a big part of that. And, uh, you know, it's it's got to feel different this time of year. Um, for uh, for you, I imagine it, it feels a lot different. Do, do your days get busier? I mean, I know a lot of interviews and everything else, uh, appearances. Uh, does it get busier or does it seem like any other month? No, it definitely gets busier. You know, my, my boss who created me TV, Neil Saban, always has said, you know, December's owned by Santa Claus, but October's owned by Sven Gulli. <laughs> <laughs> I love and, that. And... Uh, that that's it you know uh, people definitely equate the whole horror aspect of it to to halloween and we have yet a lot of appearances we kind of were very careful about appearances this year we're not doing as many but uh we we're definitely doing a lot and you know a lot of interviews and this whole month on me tv where i'll be popping up all through the schedule of our, as they call it, Spengoolie's Halloween Boo-Nanza. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. We have all these different shows, and we found the spooky episodes of, of a lot of them. And on every Sunday, there's going to be a block of some of these, and it also includes blocks of shows like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Kolchak the Night Stalker, The Addams Family, uh, a lot of fun stuff that really gets into the whole Halloween season. Yeah, are there are there any lost gems that you find that the public has completely forgotten about? Uh, you know, I know there's been, uh, you know, I've seen on your program the Andy Griffith in, in the past, uh, you know, different things like that, or what people uh, remember. I think the uh, the Halloween episode, the first Halloween episode of Happy Days and things like. That. But are there any lost gems that you think we don't know about that you know about? There's a few here and there. Uh, you know, there, there are certain ones, there are certain Twilight Zones that I think people have forgotten and have not, you know, or have not seen them in a long time. There are also some of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents that, you know, there were so many of those. And there's some that people have completely forgotten about, you know, things that you maybe didn't expect to just fit with the suspense angle of Alfred Hitchcock that are more horror oriented. Uh, yeah, there's, there's little ones here and there. And, but and the thing is, you know, like we were talking about, people love this Halloween stuff. So for the most part, you know, they know all these shows yeah. and then they look forward to it. One I always look forward to is the Andy Griffith show that has the uh, supposedly haunted house. Yeah. And uh, Barney and Gomer have to go in there to retrieve Opie's baseball that went in there, and <laughs> they're spooked out by a bunch of things. And that turned out to actually be the uh, the idea that was carried over to Don Knotts' very popular film, The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. Yeah. Do you know, I forgot all about that episode until uh, until you resurrected it. For me, anyway. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. uh, it, it just, uh, it, to me, that's one of those that fell through the cracks. And it's really classic TV. I mean, that is, uh, it, you, uh, you know, you look at shows like The Andy Griffith Show and, and you wonder um, how 
anyone doesn't appreciate Don Knox, uh, you know, the late great Don Knox, I, I think he won something like five Emmys or something like that. And if you if you see that episode, you get why he did. And you understand why he did. And, uh, you know, it's, it's because of you, it's because of uh, MeTV that a lot of these shows and a lot of these actors who've had great careers, but again, uh, they, they'd be forgotten if it wasn't for, for you, uh, me, TV, and everything else. Uh, tell us anything else we should know. Um, what else is coming up? There's some some movies I know that you're introducing. And uh, what do we have to look forward to the month of October? Well, I want to remind everybody that this Saturday, uh, our show will start one hour earlier than it normally does. And we've got Karen Black's Trilogy of Terror, of which people, it's three stories, but most people remember the last one where she has the warrior doll that comes to life and tries to kill her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then at 8 o'clock, the whole reason that they moved the show down is my first primetime special, Svengoolie <laughs> Uncrypted. And uh, it's really kind of an honor for me because they actually brought in a uh, documentary team that had worked for places like the Discovery Channel, and they wanted to do a combination of uh, a documentary about my career along with, you know, me, a little bit of me searching the Chicago area for some lost artifacts and eventually ending up at the suburb that we always mention on the show, Berwyn, where they had an actual Sven Day celebration. And there are some celebrity cameos in it. There's one especially that I think people are going to just be blown away by. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and, and we hope that people will tune in for that. And then, of course, rest of the month, we've got plenty of good movies. We've got The Tingler coming up with, Bor uh, with <laughs> Vincent Price. We've got Bride of Frankenstein. And we're going to end the month with a movie we've never shown before from the 70s, Count Yorga Vampire. Mm. So we've, we've got a full full schedule of good stuff coming up here. And listen, I love what you guys do. And when I say you guys, I mean me, TV. But uh, 43 years of Shranguli, what a career. And it's still going, 43 years and counting. Uh, Rich Kaz, uh, thank you very much. Congratulations on a wonderful career. And, and this is when we really celebrate you is uh, the month of October. Can you give us a website, a social media site, or anything else you'd like to add before we let you go? Sure, you can find everything at svenguli.com, and I'm also on Twitter. You can find me there as well. So uh, always happy to hear from the folks that watch us. Uh, it's nice to have that kind of feedback. And, Frank, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Rich Cause, thank you very much. Svenguli, everyone, is, uh, is, a, uh, is a staple in our pop culture, and for good reason. He's terrific. He's fun. He's talented, and uh, and me TV. Congrats to them for uh, you know finding this niche, this nostalgic niche in, in our lives, and you know a lot of people can't do that, and uh, and, and they've done it. I mean, there's been a lot a lot of other uh, places that have tried what me TV has done, and they these guys connected on it. They're very successful, very profitable. And obviously, uh, the station has uh, has just done uh, extremely well. Um, Shranguli is a big part of them, and I, you know, I, I said it. You know, there are little kids that like Shranguli, and there are old folks, and you know, all kinds of people. They get it. Uh, l listen, Shakespeare, it's not, right? Forget that. You know, it's not supposed to be Shakespeare. It's uh, it's fun, it's pop culture, and it's uh, you know, it meaning uh, the, the me TV's handling 
of uh, of nostalgia and, and classic TV is, is terrific. Rich Koz from Chicago originally, and uh, you know him better as Frank Gooley, has been our very special guest, Frank McKay, signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.